this is our fourth and final week in our series, New Levels, How to Get Victory Over Stubborn Sin. Let me just recap where we've been. First week, Pastor Brandt was in Romans chapter 6, and he said to get victory, first step is you have to be all out and all in, all out of the idea that I can do it in my own strength, all out with the, the thinking that I can do this, uh, just work a little harder, make a little more effort, make a better plan, all out with that thinking and all in with the fact, with the truth that only Jesus Christ has the power, has the strength to get me through uh, the daily challenges, to get me through and break through the chains of stubborn sin. So only Jesus Christ can do that. Week number two, we were in John chapter 5, and there was a man who'd been laying on his mat for 38 years. And Jesus approaches this man laying on his mat, paralyzed, can't move, asks the powerful question, do you want to get well? Six words. Powerful question. And the idea, we said, is until we are ready to do whatever it takes to get well, we're probably not going to get well. We're probably not going to get victory over stubborn sin. Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm all in. I want to get well. That's an important step. It really is. Third week, last week, we were in Romans chapter 12, and the command there is don't be conformed to this fallen, sinful world system controlled by Satan. Quit being controlled. Don't allow the world uh, to squeeze you into its mold. And in order to do that, a couple things are going to have to happen. I'm going to need to turn off the spigot of sin and sewage that I keep allowing into my brain. That's going to take some effort. And then I'm going to need to turn on the spigot of God's Word and the worship of Christ to get renewed, to get my mind renewed. In order to get victory, turn off the spigot of sin and sewage and turn on the renewing power of God's Word in worshiping Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's huge. Fourth step today, we're going to conclude our series with a crucial question. Give me your eyes. When you fall and fail, the book of James says we all fall and fail in various ways. When you and I fall and fail and mess up and now we're laying on the ground, do you have people in your life who will care enough to pick you up and carry you back to Jesus? That's a huge question. Do you have people in your life who are willing to sweat and bleed and sacrifice and believe along with you to get you back to Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, if you're all by yourself and you haven't taken the time to, to build into friends and make connections that love Jesus, uh, the next time you get stuck, you're in trouble. You understand? You can't go to new levels in your journey with Christ unless you're connected to the body, because we move forward together. That's God's plan. 
We don't do that individually all by ourselves. It's through others that we're able to get victory over stubborn, entangling, besetting sin. Uh, we need to invest in people, they invest in us, and then we're committed to one another. Uh, whatever it takes, I'm committed to sweat and bleed and tear through a roof if necessary to help you get better, to bring you to Jesus, okay? So here's the question. Do you have a group of people like that? Because that's our fourth step. If you're going to get victory, if you're going to go to new levels with Jesus, you need a group of people around you that are going to be there for you when the bottom drops out. And you'll be there for them when the bottom drops off. Okay? Uh, otherwise, you're just going to be laying there on the ground, broken, hopeless, and helpless. Locate with me on your Bible app on your phone or open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 2, where an unnamed man, we don't know his name, has four of his friends who carry him into the presence of Jesus. And because some of you uh, learn better with your eyes visually than you do just by reading or speaking, um, let's watch Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 and then we'll stand up and read it in just a couple minutes. sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To wow. say, oh, man. Clearly, he hasn't read the Torah. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. We're, we're late. Don't you complain when you're the one who kept stopping for lunch and morning tea and rest breaks and dessert and... <sighs> I'm sorry, man. I know this was important to you. Hang on. Levi, if you're afraid of heights, raise your hand. <laughs> what? Yay! Heavy! <laughs> Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do Friend, your sins are forgiven. Forgiving sins? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Get up, take your mat, and go home.
If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read out loud together uh, what we just watched. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. By digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, giving us an instruction manual to learn from, to grow through, to get corrected, to get rebuked. Lord, your word is alive, and you've inspired it, and you've preserved it, and Lord, we get to dig in together right now. So thank you. Would you show us how this man getting lowered through the roof by his friends, Lord, would you show us this morning how that applies to our lives? Show us how it applies to your church family, Show, it, show us, Lord, how it applies to our families and our individual lives. And Lord, we, we don't want to just know how it applies, but Lord, I'm, I'm asking we'll take it a step further today. I'm asking that you might give us the faith and the courage and the power and the boldness to actually put what you're going to show us here today, help us to put it to practice in our lives. And help us to start today. Lord, help us not to wait till tomorrow or later in the week. Because the truth is, Lord, it'll probably get squeezed out and forgotten. So, Lord, we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers of your book here this morning. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, and be seated. I forgot to see you before we prayed. I even marked it in pink. <sighs> Somebody may have to throw something at me from the first row. Hey, we want to sit down, right? There you go. Jose, throw a taco my way. That'd be great. Mm. 
Capernaum, uh, located on the Sea of Galilee, you can see it up here on the map, that was home base for Jesus and the 12 disciples. They keep coming back to Capernaum, okay? Now, when he gets back home, he'd been away. When he gets back home, the people are so excited. He teaches with power. He does miraculous things. An amazing crowd, a large crowd shows up at the home he was staying in. And clearly, this crowd was not socially distanced. Did anybody know that, that phrase a year ago? I didn't. Uh, but we know it now. That it was wall-to-wall people. Mark chapter 2 and verse 3. Let's move on. Well, I, I want to say one more thing about verse 2. I like the fact that when Jesus was there, he preached the word to them. Notice that, Myron? He, he was all about... He, so we would say he, he was digging into the old section uh, Genesis to Malachi, but he was teaching from God's Word. And I think he was showing them how God's Word in the old section was pointing to himself. Okay? Okay. These uh, four men, look at verse 3, Mark chapter 2, approach the house <clears throat> and they're bringing this friend of theirs to Jesus. Okay? It says, verse 3, he was paralyzed, he couldn't move, he couldn't get to Jesus on his own, verse 4, but they're not going to let a little thing like a crowd stand in the way. Do you like that? I like friends like that, okay? They're not easily stopped in their mission. What was their mission? They were ready to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. They lowered him down through the roof, they improvised. Uh, they, they take a little strange journey, but they're determined to get their friend who, before Jesus, right now Jesus, is, as the little video showed, he's teaching, and suddenly right before Jesus is this man on his mat. Now, verse 5 is crucial, okay? Look at it with me, because when Jesus saw whose faith, does it say? When Jesus saw whose faith is it? Isn't that interesting? When Jesus saw not just this man's faith, but the four friends also faith, okay? Plural. When Jesus saw plural, the man and his four friends had faith, now he's ready to act. And here's the truth. There's going to be times when you and I are going to fall and fail so deeply Sometimes I'm so messed up, we're so broken, we're going to have to piggyback on somebody else's faith. You understand? That, this is a biblical thing. Sometimes you don't have enough faith, you're going to need friends and family, and you're going to have to piggyback on their faith in order to believe and get through this challenging situation. This man was so imprisoned and broken by his circumstances he needed his friends, catch this, he needed his four friends to believe in Jesus for him and with him. Did he have some faith? Yeah, I think he did, but, but it seems that he also needed their faith along with his faith. Now verse 5, this, this is where something unexpected shows up. When Jesus saw 
their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Hold on, Jesus. I I don't think that's his issue, right? I, I don't think his friends lowered him in front of Jesus uh, for any other reason that they wanted Jesus to heal him. They, they wanted Jesus to heal him so he could get up and move once more. So why then, Jesus, look again, are you saying that his sins are forgiven? Verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't know the whole story, uh, but it's clear that there was a direct relationship between this man's sin and his circumstance. You tracking with me? There was a relationship to him being on his mat, had something to do with sin and the fact that he was laying there. There was a direct relationship between the two, similar to John 5, 14, where Jesus heals another paralyzed man, and Jesus warns him, see, you are well again, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, this fallen world, give me your eyes, has trouble and accidents and cancer all around us, and often the cause of sickness and trouble and difficulty has nothing to do with sin. Like in John chapter 9 and verse 2, the blind man, they ask, uh, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And, And Jesus says, no, neither this man or his parents have sinned, okay? So often when there's trouble and difficulty, it has nothing to do with sin, But on the flip side, and that's what we have here, sometimes the reason we're broken and stuck and hurting and in pain is because of a relationship with sin. See, I think it's this side of the coin that we don't give enough consideration. Uh, uh, Oftentimes it's not sin. That's true. But sometimes it is because of sin that we're in the pickle that we're in that we're experiencing trouble and difficulty and problems, okay? So, I just would say a good thing to learn from this, we need to start asking ourselves when bad stuff, trouble, pain, sickness knock the door down of our life, here's a good question. Lord, are you trying to get my attention here? Is, is there sin in my life that I've been excusing or or blaming others, or ignoring, could this be related to some sin in my life? Would you show me? That's a great question to ask yourself. And I think oftentimes we don't even think about that. Well, there has to be a physical reason for everything. Yeah, that's true. Oftentimes there is, but sometimes there's a spiritual reality at core. Listen closely. The Lord cares more about your spiritual condition. The Lord cares more about my spiritual condition than my hard, painful, even awful circumstances. I think I need to say that again. Yeah, just cry out right now. The Lord cares more about 
our spiritual condition than even our hard, painful, even awful circumstances. Now, here's how I think, and I think most of us are are thinking, if there's something bad in our life, something painful, something difficult, I'm, I'm stuck in some stubborn, entangling sin, here's what I usually think, Lord, remove it, give me better circumstances, and then I'll deal with the spiritual side. Isn't that how you think? And I think the Lord is saying, no, it's just the opposite. I want you to deal with the spiritual side first. That's most important. And then we'll work together on your circumstance. Do you understand? So we get it backwards here. Address your sin first, and then the Lord will help you address whatever circumstances you're facing. Verses 6 and 7. Some teachers of the law were in the audience. They were there. They were... uh, sent, you could call them spies, they were there to find out what's going on with this Jesus of Nazareth. What's going on? These were the religious elite, the scholars, the Pharisees, I would call them today the seminary professors, okay? And they say when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, notice what they say, who does this Jesus think he is? Who who does he think he is? Because uh, only God himself can forgive sin. And in verse 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he confronts the Jewish religious leaders with a couple of questions. Okay? Here's the questions. You ready? First, why are you thinking this way? Why are you doubting? Why are you scoffing over there? And second, verse 9, this is a really good question, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up, take up your mat, and walk? So, so which would be easier? And they're thinking, uh, probably your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is going to show these doubting elite exactly who he was. Show him exactly who he was. Turn me up, Rochelle. Verse 10, I want you to know exactly who I am, Jesus says. And he says, I want you to know who the Son of Man is. That's the favorite name of Jesus for himself. I want you to know, everybody in the room, that I'm the second person of the Trinity. That's really what he's saying. I want you to know that I'm God with skin on, so you can know that I can forgive sin. I'm going to demonstrate that I am God with skin on by saying to this man, verse 11, get up, take your mat, go home. Get up, take your mat, go home. Verse 12 is the final conclusion. So what, what does the guy do? He gets up, takes his mat, walks out in full view of them all. And they were amazed. <laughs> and they praised God. And they were saying, we've never seen anything like this before. The miracle of him standing and walking proved to the whole house Jesus was deity. Jesus is God the Son. And and that's what he he says to these religious doubters. Uh, I am who I say that I am. Now, here's the key idea, okay? So, let's go back. This man was in an awful place. Would you not agree? 
he'd get up in the morning, he, he can't go shower, he can't wash up, he, he can't uh, go to the bathroom by himself, he can't dress easily by him. He was stuck and helpless. But his saving grace was what? What was the saving grace of this man? His four friends. His four friends were so committed to him that they were ready to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. These four friends were willing to sweat and bleed and improvise and believe along with him to bring him into the presence of Jesus. Just saying, that's amazing. They were living out what Paul would write later to the churches in Galatia. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, stuck, that's what it means, you're caught in a trap like this man was, a stubborn, entangling trap, sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Did you catch that? When we see somebody who's stuck and they can't move, our job is to help restore that person gently. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Okay? These four friends, I believe, were literally bearing the weight, the burden that this man had been carrying, probably for a long time, okay? They, they literally were obeying the law of Christ by carrying him to Jesus. Anybody know what is the law of Christ? Anybody know? What's the law of Christ? Love one another as Christ has loved you. Okay? What's the law of Christ? The perfect law, I'm to love you as Jesus has loved me. And that's exactly what these four friends were doing. So I need to ask, are there people in your life who are stuck and paralyzed and can't move? You got people who maybe are stuck in their job situation and they can't move. Maybe in their marriage they're stuck and, and, and they can't get off the mat. Perhaps they're stuck and laying down in uh, addictions of some sort. Do you have people around you who literally can't move? They're in a really bad place. That, that's who this applies to. Uh, maybe, maybe there's some stubborn, entangling sin, and they just can't break free. Are you willing to sweat and sacrifice and bleed and believe for them like these four men? Are you willing to tear through a roof if that's what it takes to get this, this friend of yours, this family member to Jesus? Let's just say you've got somebody with an addiction and they've tried and they've tried and they've tried and there's lots of them. You just, we'll just leave it there, blank, an addiction. And you say, you know what? We have this great thing uh, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Celebrate Recovery. And it's a Christian recovery group and they're going to gather around you and teach you how to get victory from God's Word. Can I suggest... If, if you're willing to sweat, if you're willing to bleed, if you're willing to help carry them, give me your eyes. Instead of just telling them about it, how about you say, I'll pick you up about quarter to seven, and I'll go with you to the meeting. 
And, and we'll go to meetings, and I'll be there at your side, and whatever it takes, I'm going to get you in the presence of Jesus to see victory. See the difference? One is just passing out a little information. The other is, I, I'm here for you, I'm with you, whatever it takes, uh, I want to see healing and wholeness and recovery and breakthrough come through for you. That's how committed I am to you. Can I just say, that's what church family is all about. That's why we have such a thing as church. That's why God's plan for today is His church, because we're all at times going to fall and fail, and we need to be on the lookout for people who are paralyzed in some way, and we're not willing that anybody in the church family just lays down and dies alone. Can I hear an amen, please? No one is just going to lay there and get ignored. Can I just say one more time, without his four friends, this guy was toast. <laughs> Game over. Now, the second level, and I think this is a, a, a different angle coming at this, is uh, we need to do our part to get prepared, okay? If, if James is right and God's Word is always right, we all fail and fall in various ways, it's just a matter of time before all of us slip and fall and fail in some way. Or, or maybe, by God's grace, you're mature, and maybe most of the major falls and fails are in the rearview mirror. Praise Jesus, okay? But we're all prone to fail and fall in various ways, some minor, some major. Proverbs 18.24 tells us if we have unreliable friends... We're going to come to ruins. So if this man had picked poorly, if he didn't have friends who were totally committed to him and then were ready to do whatever it took and then knew enough to bring him to Jesus, his life would have come to ruins. Do you understand? If this man had unreliable friends, he was in deep trouble, which means, give me your attention, we need to make the time to make the investment in having a group of friends who are so committed to us that if we are like this man and we fall and we fail, they'll come alongside of us and they'll do whatever it takes to get us into the presence of Jesus. Do you understand? That means we're going to have to do some planning in advance. We're going to have to take the time to build that kind of connection with people around us. So I'm going to ask you again, do you right now have four friends? We'll just use what's going on here. Do you have four friends who love you enough that they would sweat and bleed and believe and tear through a roof to get you to Jesus? <laughs> a little bit like a tightrope walker. Put that picture up, Ray. Um, you know, we're on a tightrope. And I would argue that we're up on the tightrope. Would you, would you agree with me that the wind, the winds of this world are blowing right now? And it's pretty easy for us to get blown off. Uh, it's pretty easy for us to get knocked off, okay? The net, the safety net, are those friends, those people who are committed to us, okay? 
because it's just a matter of time before we're going to slip and fall, and we need people around us who can be our safety net. We, we need people around us who will catch us and love on us and help carry us and believe for us when we slip and we fall. What I'm about to say could sound political, okay? So I'm out on the tightrope myself right now, okay? But I want you to know what I'm about to say is not meant political. I mean it from the heart of this pastor, okay? So what I'm about to say um, is, is from a pastor's heart. The greatest risk, in my opinion, during this pandemic is that lots of people have gotten disconnected from the body of Christ. I believe the greatest risk here is lots of folks have gotten out of the church habit, and that's what it says it is, and now they're disconnected from their brothers and their sisters in Christ. Let me say clearly and loudly, yes, there is a huge health risk with the COVID-19 virus. I believe that. But I would argue there is a greater risk spiritually, emotionally, relationally risk when the church family isn't there and connected with one another. You tracking? We need one another. And we're called to gather together. That's God's plan. That's God's design. That's God's safety net for each other. And when we don't have that safety net and we're disconnected, then we're walking on the tightrope all by ourselves. Bad stuff happens when you get disconnected from the body. My prayer is that coming out of this season, that we might realize how desperately we really do need each other. When we were forced not to meet for a while, um, now we realize, you know what, being connected Depending on others and them depending on me, that's exactly how God has planned it. And maybe we'll come out of this season recognizing how important and critical and crucial the body of Christ is, the church family. I close with a question of application. I've asked it at least twice already. Do you right now have at least four friends who would sweat and bleed, and tear through roofs, and believe enough to get you to Jesus. Do you have that right now? Well, how do I do that, Pastor Jeff? Okay. So we close today. I've got some, some of our church leaders. We're willing to help you, okay? But, but I'll just give you a, a kind of a hint. Um, you're going to have to do your part to get connected doesn't just happen. You're going to have to do your part, and we're going to sow some seeds of love to get yourself in a small group, uh, do whatever it takes. We're going to give more than we take, and I'm just telling you, as you sow seeds of love, and you're committed, and you're caring for others, you're not going to believe this, but what you sow is what you, okay? Some of you got that. What you sow is what you so when you're committed to a group of others in time, then they'll be committed to you 
That, that's how it works. The final step to go to new levels with Jesus, final step to get victory over stubborn sin, you need a group of people. I need a group of people around me. I'm committed to them and they're committed to me. So when we're on the ground and we're wiped out, they're going to care enough to come alongside you and believe and sweat and carry you to Jesus. Do you have that right now? Are you ready to do whatever it takes to get that? Bow your heads. Shut your eyes as we close. Lord, we're listening to you right now. Would you speak clearly because how you want to talk to each of us is going to be individual, each family. We're listening. I'm going to ask the question one more time. Do you have at least four people? Maybe you need to start with one, but do you have at least some people around you? You're committed to them. They're committed to you. They'd be ready to sweat, bleed, break through a roof, and believe and carry you to Jesus if you fall and fail. And if that's missing, what needs to change? Investing in a group of people in today's world is a wise investment. I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I need to make that investment. I need a net of strong Jesus followers who will be committed to me and I'll be committed to them. And I'm ready to do what it takes to make that investment in them. Because I realize, Lord, that's your plan for today. You designed us, and the answer is the body of Christ, the church family. We need one another. Just like to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than just say, Lord, you're talking to me. I, I need that group of people around me, and I need to invest in them, and I need that safety net in my life. Anybody say, that's me? I realize that's lacking. Are there others of you? Yep. Anyone else? I don't have that right now. And I need to make that investment. I realize if I'm going to have victory, there's going to be days I fail and fall. I need some folks who will care and love on me. But I'm going to invest in them. And that's how that connection happens. Anybody else? 
Lord, I pray for my friends who just acknowledged they need the body around them. Would you give them creativity? Would you help them to do what they need to do to make an investment in others so that they'll invest back in them? Lord, even as Chad and Myron come down front during this final song, we're ready to help out, Lord. We're ready to do our part to help them get plugged in. So, uh, Lord, help us to connect them, help them to find those people like this man had in a desperate time. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name.